morning. Glad that you are here with us or here with us if you're joining us online. I just want to say uh, thanks for uh, joining us, again, whether physically or via the internet. Glad to have that opportunity to connect with you uh, in, in either, either way. Listen, uh, we're going to continue that series in Colossians. Jesus is greater than. We've got a few more weeks left of that. Next week, actually, I'll let you know that Dave Featherland is going to be speaking, and then Joe will be uh, speaking uh, the next couple weeks after that as we finish up the series. And then we've got something planned uh, for the summer as well. We'll be telling you some more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, you know, if you might remember that last week, Pastor Joe was uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 3, and he really reminded us uh, of a couple things, that we are chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Remember that? And then he also told us that who we are in Christ, really, what he said was our identity shapes our activity. So who we are in Christ shapes uh, and changes, really, our activity. And, and then Paul uh, starts, really, in verse 18. He, he ta- takes this idea that he's been, he's been sharing with the Colossians, and he focuses in on the behaviors that happen in the home. Uh, what happens in the household, right? And, and, and really, the reason I think that he does that is because he knows that's where the test really lies, it's really in our home and the people that we spend the most time with, the people that we love the most, where it's the most difficult to live out the life that we desire to live out. And that's true because it's at home where the water leaks happen and, and where the, the car accidents uh, happen, or at least in the garage. It's where we don't get good night's sleep sometimes. It's where the children cry sometimes. It, it's, it's where it's the most difficult to live out that life that we want to live for Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about husbands and wives relationship uh, and also children's and parents relationship this morning. And I already know what you're thinking. Well, they needed someone to talk about this, and so clearly they needed an expert. And so I'm not sure why you're laughing. So I'm not sure. So, so you know, Pastor Bob is the expert. Well, here's the thing. If you define an expert as someone who has made so many mistakes over so much time, in so many different areas, that they finally learn one or two things, then I am your guy, absolutely. In fact, I will tell you this. I said to my wife, Grace, this week, I said, so, so can you think of a time that I messed up as a husband or as a father? Thankfully, she did not pull out the notebook, which I'm sure she has. She said, let me think about it. So she came back the next day. She said, so yeah, I've got one. How, how about this time? How about when you asked me, uh, how I was doing, and I started to tell you, and you got a text, and you kind of glanced at your phone, and then you started reading your phone, and I stopped talking, and you didn't notice, and so then you started to reply to the text, and I got up and left the room, and you didn't notice. I'm like, yeah, that's a good one. Let's go with that. So there is the expert. Here I am coming to you to tell you how to have a good relationship in your household. What I'll tell you is Grace, uh, as she often does, always does, is gracious. She comes back and she says, uh, I don't think maybe you got that right. Let's talk about it. And we did. And uh, I continue uh, to, to learn uh, from her in these areas. So here's the thing. I want to have some honest dialogue this morning about relationships within the home. Uh, relationships that are not always easy, but they're critically important. Your life at home with your family reveals the state of your heart. That's really what Paul is pointing out this morning. 
it's a it's a topic this topic of relationships within the home is one that paul talks about in several passages in several letters that he writes and we're actually going to read some from the book of ephesians later but this morning i want to start out by reading in the book of colossians and so we're going to look at chapter 3 and i'm actually going to start at verse 17 and read through chapter 4 verse 1 the reason i'm going to start with verse 17 let me read it first it says this whatever you do Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Lord, the Father through him. This is really the end of the previous section. And Paul is saying, whatever you do, here's what we've been talking about. Whatever you do, do it in word and deed in the name of the Lord, really living unto the Lord. And then he focuses attention on what happens in the home. And here's what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And then Paul talks about slaves and masters. It might seem a little bit strange why he talks about it here, but we're going to talk about why he does it. In the first century, in the Roman Empire, slaves were very much a part of the household. So this is what he says. He said, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And I'm actually going to take these in reverse order. I'm going to talk about slaves and masters first, so beginning in verse 22 and to the end, and then we'll talk about husbands and wives and parents and children. So when we read this passage on slaves and and masters, it may strike you that Paul is writing and he's telling slaves and masters how to act towards one another, but he's really never telling the slaves to to get their freedom or their slave owners to set them free. And I think it's, and it's something we should probably discuss. Why is that? Why doesn't Paul do that? I think it's a fair question. In order to answer that question, I, I want to give you some information about what slavery looked like in the first century compared to what you might be thinking about what slavery looked like in our country. He, a couple of things, just to have some information that I think hopefully will help you understand. So in the, in the Roman world in the first century, uh, slave, slavery had nothing to do with race. The, the, the majority of slaves were prisoners of war. And some were actually people that sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off debts. Also, many slaves could expect to be freed during their lifetime. In fact, there was a period in history, th- this says many slaves could expect to be freed by the time they were 30. There was a period in Roman history where so many slaves were being freed before they were 30, in, in, when they were young, that, a, that a, a, a Roman emperor came and said they couldn't be freed until they were at least 30 years old. Many of them were paid an occasional sum of money, and they were able to use that sum of money to buy their freedom. Again, a very different situation than what happened in the United States. And then the third thing is, certainly there were slaves that worked at hard labor, absolutely. But many of them worked in, in, in some specialized skill areas, so they became doctors they became nurses teachers my favorite sea captains Uh, they were managers of people and again they worked out of the home uh, within the home and they worked as kind of the home base 
and they, they did things uh, outside the home as well. And then the last one is that freed slaves often became Roman citizens. That certainly, again, did not happen in the United States. And they would often continue to work for their former slave owners and other people as well, because now that they had these skills, they could use them and get paid for their services. So here's the thing. I want, I want to let you know that reality was different then than it is than it was in our country. At the same time, that's not in any way to say this was okay, that it was humane, that it was morally justifiable. It was not. Because although it was very different, it was still slavery. It still was owning another person, and that is wrong. So the question, I think, is, is logical. Why doesn't Paul condemn it then? Because he does not condemn slavery. He also doesn't condone slavery. He really doesn't talk about it at all being right or wrong. He really focuses completely on how to live as a Christian within the culture of the time. That's it. That was his main objective. So if we would have been able to have a conversation with Paul, I'm sure he had an opinion about slavery, but he didn't share it in this letter. One of the things as well that I wanted you to know that some estimates are that in the city of Rome itself, as many as 90% of the people who lived there were slaves. That's how integral it was to the city of Rome. That was the culture that they were living in. So Paul is saying, instead of saying to the slaves, try to get free, instead of saying to the owners, free your slaves, he's really saying, this is how you need to live. And it's revolutionary compared to what the culture tells you. It's countercultural, really, in every way. He says, be different. Because Paul's idea, he says to the slaves, work and do your best. Work as unto the Lord, basically. Do your best because you represent Jesus. That's his message. And to, to the slave owners, he says, don't treat them like everyone else treats them. In fact, treat them with respect. Treat them well, he says. And in the letter that Paul writes to Philemon, which Joe's going to talk about, uh, I think, in a couple of weeks, he, he says, treat them like brothers radically different than what the culture was teaching and representing in that day. Paul's concern was not social reform, although that's not a bad thing at times. He was really focused in on how a believer should live, respond, and react based on their relationship with Jesus. So often, I think we we can focus, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, we can focus on our need for change in our culture. And I think often God wants to instead focus on the need for change in my heart. It's easy to, to want change out there, but it's much more difficult to seek change in our heart. I think that's often what God desires us to do. Paul was really saying, whatever your station in life, demonstrate by your behavior, by your activity, that you are in Christ, that he lives in you. And that same emphasis then is evident when Paul begins to talk about husband and wife relationships, when he talks about parent and children relationships. And so to, to flesh that out a little bit more, Paul in another letter, as I said, he wrote to the Ephesians about husband and wife relationships, and I want to read uh, some of those verses this morning. So Ephesians 5, 21 to 28 says this, they say this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Wives, I certainly have some understanding that this idea, this word submission can be scary, especially how we often define it in our culture today. Paul makes clear that a wife is to submit to the husband just as the husband is then supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. In fact, he says you're to submit to one another. Paul says to do this out of reverence for Christ. Again, the idea is as we live for Christ, as our identity is a believer, a follower of Jesus, then our behavior is going to look different, not like the rest of the culture. And we'll treat each other in ways that are radically different from what we see in the culture. In fact, what do we see in the culture? You know, what is their relationship like? What what are husbands and wives? How are they represented in our culture? Well, I think, you know, if we look at television, and we can see some some not, not very good models, quite frankly. There are some exceptions, thankfully. That's good. I talked to several people this week about it, and Pastor Dave maybe said the best statement. He said, well, husbands are usually buffoons. That's kind of how we're depicted. Yeah, we're kind of stupid, uh, childish. Uh, we don't respect our wives or anyone else in many ways. Um, we kind of want what we want. We're selfish. And, and oftentimes we sort of, the husbands mislead or just outright lie to their wives to get what they want. And so that leads then to wives sort of being, well, they're domineering. They run the household. And really they've got to treat their husband like a child because that's how he acts anyway. That's sort of the model that we see depicted often in our culture. Often, if we're honest, the message in our culture is, hey, I'm just going to focus on me. It's about me. I'm going to pursue what I want to pursue. I'm going to get what I want to get, right? So for, for, for men, it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out with the guys whenever I want to go out with them, and I'm going to buy the new car or the motorcycle or set of golf clubs or whatever it might be, fill in the blank. And if it's if for women, uh, maybe you want to buy a set of golf clubs as well. Uh, you want to hang out with the, the girls. You want to get a mani-pedi every week or two or a day or two. I don't know how often you do that because you can tell I don't really get them. Um, but whatever it might be, we, we focus on ourselves. And here's the thing, none of that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it, it becomes a, a question of priority. What is it that we are prioritizing? We need to be aware of what the culture says, and sometimes we need to fight for change. Sometimes, though, again, we need to look inward and say, what is God saying to me about how I need to change in the, in the relationships that I have in my home? You know, one of the messages I think that we get from our culture is that it's okay and normal and often beneficial to just sort of be married and live completely separate lives. You know, you have your own set of friends, you have your own hobbies and your own interests, and you just aren't together very much. And that makes it tolerable. It's horrible. Think about it. But that's really the message that we get often. So, so again, being apart sometimes is good and healthy, beneficial. But, but if you're sort of having a few meals together and, and sleeping in the same bed, that is not 
appropriate according to the model that Paul lays out here in Scripture. It's not a healthy marriage. That's not at all the model. That's often what our culture is, is, is pointing us to. Here's the good news. If that's sort of the relationship that you find yourself in, or maybe you feel like you're kind of drifting in that direction, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to, to, to begin to act differently. And, and so how do you do that? Find something that you can do together. I don't know what that looks like. Go for a walk, maybe. All right. Grace waited 30 plus years for that to happen. We finally walked together. Maybe you could, here's one that, you know, maybe you need to garden together. Please don't take up gardening, dear. We don't want to do that together. I don't know what I'd do. I'd kill everything that I try to put in the ground. But figure out something that you can do together. Maybe that's just sitting down and communicating together. Here's the thing. When you do that, don't bring your cell phone. Talk to the person and pay attention. Maybe that's as simple as it is. It doesn't necessarily take radical transformation of your life but it might take an adjustment of your priorities. In order to love one another well, we need to live life together. That's very clear from what Paul is saying. A couple of questions for you. Husbands, do you demonstrate your love for your wife? So we would all say it's absolutely necessary to love our wives, but it's also necessary to demonstrate that love. Scripture is really clear that Jesus loved us And he demonstrated that love. His love took action. So that's true for us as well. It's not not enough to love our wives. We must demonstrate our love. And that takes action. It takes doing something. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. Let me give you a couple of pieces of input, a couple pieces of advice. So if you've never read the book, The Five Love Languages, I looked it up this week. It's almost 30 years old now. It's sold more than 13 million copies. It's about eight bucks on Amazon. It's got more than 50,000 positive reviews. So if you haven't read it, now's the time. And here's what it does. It tells us, it helps you understand that each of us kind of feels love, receives love in, in a certain way. So it might help you demonstrate your love to your wife. If you're a wife, you might need to get a copy so you can demonstrate your love to your husband. It's a good place to start. What else might it look like in your life? You know, again, I don't know. Because I have learned a few things in the almost 32 years of of what it means to demonstrate love to grace. Clearly, I've already mentioned, I don't do it perfectly or sometimes well at all. But I I know what that means. But what does it mean for you? I'm not sure. It might just mean uh, doing something in the house that she doesn't like to do. It might mean communicating and telling her that you love her. Maybe it's a, a note occasionally. I don't know what it might be. But you need to figure that out so you can demonstrate that love to her. That's part of the responsibility that Paul lays at the husband's feet. Maybe you need to affirm her in front of other people. Paul then turns his attention uh, kind of briefly to children and parenting. And so first he says to the children, obey your parents, which is pleasing to the Lord. So if you're here this morning and you're a a younger person, yeah, that's what God's word says. It doesn't mean you always agree with your parents, but it doesn't mean that you'll show them obedience. Again, where that's wise, not going against God's word somehow. When you're not sure what that looks like, you can go to the Lord and seek him 
seek wisdom to let you know what that looks like. But as, as parents, we want to, sorry, as children, we want to obey and we want to respect our parents. Absolutely, that's part of what it means that in my life as a, as a child, yeah, I'm a child of the, of, of the Lord. I want to live my life for Christ. And so what does that look like then in my relationship with my parents? That's really the angle that Paul is, is using in all of these relationships. When we look at parenting in our culture, so again, I thought about this a lot, read a lot of uh, articles this last couple weeks about this as well. One of the, the main emphasis, right, one of the main messages is that we as parents need to spend a lot of time and money and effort giving our children sort of one experience after another. So, so getting them involved in, in lots of activities, giving them great vacations, uh, you know, getaways, th- those, those kinds of things, giving them the, the, the best that, that we can afford in their lives. That's really the, the, the message often that we, that we get. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with those things, again, but it's, it's a matter of priority. What message are we, are we really sending? Do we lose the perspective and we make our children, it's all about them, and it's really not about our walk with the Lord. If that's the case, then we have a, a problem. The other thing that I, I know is that there's this amazing amount of pressure in our lives, uh, parents of, of young children, to get them involved at younger and younger ages in activities, right? In sports, in, in things that will help them academically, in things that will get them involved in the arts. There, there, there's just more and more activities, and, and really we're encouraged to do it at younger and younger ages. So there are, there are camps for various sports for, you know, three and four-year-olds. No problem. You can find them. And then not only do you get them involved, but you have to get them better coaching and more field time and more training. And so it becomes, it just puts so much pressure often on families, especially when you have more than one or two children trying to figure out how to balance all those things. In an article entitled To Push or Not to Push, Finding the the Balance in Kids' Sports, this is talking about sports specifically, it says, studies show that 70% of kids drop out of organized athletics by the age of 13. Some of that is because of the financial constraint on parents, but most of the time, it says, it's just not fun anymore for the kids. They just don't want to be involved anymore. And as a parent, it's easy to say, I'm doing this for my child. I'm doing it because I want them to succeed, because I want them to have fun, because I want them to be better at this. And, and, And I'm sure that's true. But there's also times where I think if we look again inward and we allow God to reveal it to us, it might be that we want our child to succeed more than they do. That we want her to be better academically really than she wants to be. And and there's a balance there again where yes, we want to encourage and push our children at times, but we can also get out of balance, I think, very quickly. Very quickly. And when we realize that maybe we are out of balance, it can be painful. I get that. But that's the time to make changes. It's the time to make changes. Paul then addresses very briefly um, fathers, really, he, when he's talking about fathers. In the first century, having a relationship with your son was, or, or daughter, for that matter, was really uh, n- not a priority. The father was the disciplinarian. Uh, and so that's why Paul says, don't exasperate your children. He, again proposes something that's really radically different than most of the culture. And, and he, he says, 
don't, don't make them bitter. Don't just be a disciplinarian, but rather teach them. Teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's the, here's the truth when we look at the situation in our country uh, today, in our culture. And, and this is true. I think many of you, especially those of you that are younger, know this is true. That as we get our kids involved in some of those activities, and especially if we have more than one, we end up not just busy during the week, but every weekend you are involved in activities with your children. And because of that, then you begin to travel as well on weekends. And so the children get a very clear message. And that message is that to be involved and, and connected to a church and to be involved in a community of people who, who are followers of Christ is simply unimportant. It's just meaningless. I mean, that is the message. And, and, and again, those of you that are younger that have kids that age or maybe grandkids that age, I know you see it. It's difficult. And, and there's no easy answer. The answer isn't take your kids out of all their activities. That's not wise. That's not the best thing either. Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with that, find someone else, a, a family that has kids maybe at the same age or a similar age as yours, and, and it looks to you that like they have a different balance. They've found a different way to do it. Talk to them and find out how do you make these decisions? How are you sort of getting off that wheel that sometimes we can get on and can't find our way off? Talk with them about it. Find out. Because finding that proper balance between our family activities and our family relationships and our relationship with Jesus is critically important. It's very important. Listen. Mom and dad. The most important thing. The most important thing you can teach your child the most important thing they need to learn from you is how to be a follower of Jesus. That's the truth. And here's, the, here's the, the other thing. They learn that by watching what you do, the actions you take, not by what you say. And let me tell you how I know that. Because I messed that up. Don't mess it up. Don't miss it. They learn by what you do, the decisions you make, the actions you take, the priorities you set, not by what you tell them. Don't miss it. Here's the good news. It's never too late to change. I don't care if your kids are 6 or 16 or 26 or 36. All right, maybe 46 is too late. I don't know. But it's never too late to begin to demonstrate to them that, you know what, Jesus and living for him is my number one priority. It's never too late. Really, it isn't. And I've had to do that with my kids to go and say, you know what, I messed up. But I've learned some things. And I want to be different moving forward by God's grace. It's not too late. Don't give up. Make the changes that are necessary. So that your kids can see that you desire to live for him. Here's a great time to remind us, right, that none of us can live the way Paul is, uh, is encouraging us to live without Christ in us. It's all about Jesus. Our identity shapes this activity in our lives. It's not possible to live life consistently in this way, to love someone this way, to, to be the examples that we desire to be for our kids 
unless we have Christ in us. But as he lives in us, he can transform us and sanctify us. Remember that sanctification process? And we can begin then to live lives differently that are in alignment with his plan for my marriage and my family and my relationships. Paul is really saying Jesus is greater than culture. We don't get our answers from culture. We don't look there. We look to Jesus. He's the one that enables us to live life this way. What does that look like in your life? Men, first question, really the main question, does your wife know you love her? Don't answer that too quickly. Do you think she ever doubts it? What steps might God be calling you to take so that she doesn't doubt it? Maybe you know the steps. You just need to take them. Maybe you're not sure. I, just go to him. Ask him. He'll show you. Ladies, if you're married, does your husband know that you respect him? That you love him? That you're committed to following him? Even when he messes up and looks at his cell phone instead of listening to you? Because that's what Paul is calling you all as ladies to do. Children, man, if you're here and you're a young person, do your, do your parents know that you love them and respect them? When's the last time you told them that? doesn't mean you, you, listen, you, you, you agree all the time to what they say, but it does mean you respect them and love them. Parents, man, of young children and of grown children. You know, if you have grown children, you use some of the words that Paul used. Uh, are, are they exasperated at times by you? Have you maybe made them bitter by some of the things you've done and said? If so, what, God, what might God be calling you to do to change that? Not what might he be calling them to do. What might he be calling you to do to change that relationship? And if you have young children, again, and you're living in a way that they see, they, they look at you and they say, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, man, that's what I want to do. Or do they look at you and say, you know, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, you know, maybe, maybe I'll skip that. Well, that's a great question to ask the Lord to reveal to you. Are you getting the cues from the culture? Are you getting your cues from God's word? Jesus is greater than culture. And we who are believers, man, we need to follow Jesus, not the culture, so that we can live a life that's pleasing to him. Here's the good news. Nowhere are the stakes as high, nowhere is your influence greater than in the relationships in your home, in your family. And today's the day you can begin living the way you desire to live to demonstrate to one another in your home that you love Jesus and you want to represent him. You can do that. You can make those changes because Jesus lives in you. So I want to talk to two groups of people real quick. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, I want to give you an opportunity in just a minute to, to just ask God, is there something you want me to change? Is there an area in my life that needs to change? If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you haven't yet accepted the work that Christ did. Maybe you've been listening to us for the last couple months and you've been thinking about it. Maybe you're, you're watching online and you've been watching and you're just not sure. I want to give you that opportunity to today. Pastor Joe's done it a few times as well. We want to make sure that you understand that 
God designed us to have a relationship with us, right? He loves us. But this thing got in the way, right? Sin got in the way. One of the messages Joe shared is this huge wall, remember? And, and, and we made really clear, because Scripture made really clear, we can't overcome it. We can't go over it. We can't go around it. So God, because he loved us, sent his son that he paid the penalty for our sin by dying on a cross for us. And, and really what the gospel says is, when I come to a place in my life of believing, he died for me. He paid my penalty. And, and then I can ask him to forgive my sin because of what Jesus did. The scripture is very clear that at that moment, Jesus will come and live in me. My sin will be forgiven, and I'll become a new creature in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you haven't done it in the past. So would you just bow your heads with me this morning? And if you're uh, watching at home, again, I'd encourage you to just bow your head. Again, two groups of people. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, would you just say to the Lord, is there an area, God, where you are calling me to change as it relates to the relationships in my home? in my family, and then let him speak to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've never made that commitment, but you want to do that, you can do that by simply repeating this brief prayer that I want to share with you. So you can repeat after me silently where you are. Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner, that my sin has made it impossible for me to have a relationship with you the way you designed. But, but Lord, I understand that Jesus died on a cross for me, for my sin. And so I ask that you would forgive my sin and cleanse me so that I might be able to have a relationship with you, a God who loves me. And I know that at this moment, as I pray that prayer, you answer and you forgive. And Jesus, I invite you to come and live in me. I ask it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for these two groups. Lord, I am among the group who knows you, but Lord, I, you've pointed out so many areas that I need to change. And I can't do that, but you can do it in me. So I pray for those that are here this morning, that you would speak clearly to them, about the changes you're calling them to make in their marriage, in their family, perhaps with their grown children, their young children. And I pray for those that have perhaps prayed this prayer for the first time today and have been, your word says, transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. I pray that you would fill them with joy unspeakable. Lord, I bring both of these groups to you and ask that you would continue to walk with us this week and the coming weeks. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you so much for being here this morning. I will tell you that if you prayed that prayer and you want to let us know that, if you let us know, we'll do a couple things. We'll begin to pray for you. And we'll also send you some information about really what does that decision mean so you can understand it more fully and, and also a, a video that will talk about some next steps for you in your journey with Christ. If you want to let us know, you can, you can text yes to Christ to this number that's on the screen, 94000. I'd encourage you to do that if you want to let us know. 
thank you so much for being here this week. Please come back next week. Again, Dave Featherland will continue in the book of Colossians. Have a great week.